Welcome to Grace River Church, located in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Our mission is to see every generation experience the transforming power of God in every area of their lives. We hope you enjoy today's message. We are so blessed. I know Josh does not need an introduction, but um, I just want to say how blessed I am. But I want you to know how blessed you are. We have several young men on staff. Um, I can say that now. I'm the oldest guy on staff. But we have several young men that God is raising up and, and just got powerful futures in ministry. And we all are in ministry, let me say that. Every one of you are called to ministry. But there are aspects of the vocation that God raises up equippers to minister in the local body. And we are blessed. And I just want to make uh, Josh welcome this morning. We have several of them that are going to be sharing over the next few weeks. But Josh, God bless you. Let's make him welcome. Amen. Amen. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Have you ever been to a church service? It's all right, I'm going to pull this up. Have you ever been to a uh, church service where the pastor got up and he said, turn to the person sitting next to you and tell them they look good today? I'm not doing that this morning, all right? Uh, I don't want you to lie. No, I'm just joking. Uh, I've been to some services where it was really awkward. I was at one one time and the, the pastor said, turn to the person next to you and tell them they look hot. I turned and I said, nah, not doing that. Uh, but anyway, God's good, amen? Aren't you glad to be in the presence of God this morning? Amen. Pastor John's been preaching a powerful sermon series recently on the, on the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to continue that this morning. It, I was looking back at some of the uh, sermons recently on the YouTube live stream channel, and I tend to sit in the middle, right there in the middle, and uh, as I was watching the sermons, um, I, can say, I can say that I am successfully fulfilling the call of Christ to shine my light, because my bald spot is shining bright on every sermon that comes through the YouTube channel, because I sit right in front of the camera, and uh, so I just want to let you all know, God bless you, and... Uh, because yes, amen. We'll shine our light one way or the other. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 2, 9 through 16. Nehemiah chapter 2, uh, verses 9 through 16. Like I said a minute ago, we're going to continue this series on the book of Nehemiah. Uh, this is a powerful book, a powerful series. And just to catch us up and to put some context to where we're at today... I want to remind you that the books of Ezra and Nehemiah were originally one book. So when you're reading your Bible, and Pastor John's mentioned this very well, when you're reading your Bible, you can read Ezra and Nehemiah together, and you're really reading one story. Now, all of Scripture is one story, but specifically in the Hebrew manuscripts, they were originally one book. The book of Nehemiah is about the reconstruction of the walls of Jerusalem. But even more than that, I love this thought, it says it's about the reconstruction of the people of Jerusalem. See, church, we can rebuild walls in our lives. We can rebuild structures and things like that, and that's important. But ultimately, God's looking to rebuild who we are. He's wanting an identity change, a reconstruction of who he's called us to be, and that's what the book of Nehemiah is about. To learn what it means to have their identity as the chosen 
people of God. That's what God was doing with the Israelites during this time. He was trying to restore a sense of identity to who they were and to where he had called them to be. He wanted them to learn what it means to follow the word of God. A common theme throughout the Old Testament was that when the Israelites obeyed God, they were blessed. When they disobeyed God, they were often taken into bondage. The, one of the prominent scriptures in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, God says, if you obey me, I'll bless you. If you disobey me, there will be a curse. And now that word curse is not something spooky. We often think it's some kind of spooky little thing that God just kind of hovered over them. All a curse simply means is God takes his hand of protection and he pulls it off of you. He says, you want to do it your way. Josh, you want to do it your way. Fine, I'm going to let you. I'm going to pull my hand off. And now you're left to the consequences of your own decisions. That's what a, real, that's what a biblical curse is. In 587 or 586 BC, Israel was taken into captivity by Babylon. They were removed from their homeland, and they were taken as captives of the Babylonian Empire. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah share the story of the Israelites' return to their homeland, and specifically, it's the story of their return to the city of Jerusalem. The Israelites re returned to Jerusalem in three waves of people. Pastor John's been sharing about this. Nehemiah is a part of the third wave, and the Lord called Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. While the book of Ezra has a significant focus on the rebuilding of the temple, the book of Nehemiah places a significant emphasis on the rebuilding of the walls. It's one story, and God's trying to accomplish a reconstruction, not just of their physical assets, but of who they are as his people. This is important because Ezra worked to restore temple worship to Yahweh. But in order to maintain their ability to continue worshiping Yahweh, they needed walls to protect them. The Baker Illustrated Bible Handbook, it's a wonderful resource. Um, I also like it because it has a lot of pictures. How many people know pictures are good? Amen. Has this quote. It says, With a rebuilt temple and a rebuilt city wall, the physical components are now in place for a rebuilt people. You see, as followers of Christ in today's age, our physical components are not a temple. It's the body of Christ. It's the word of God. And when we structure our lives around those physical things, we are now positioned to have a rebuilt life. Can I hear a good amen? Through the work of Ezra and Nehemiah, Israel was regaining their sense of identity as the chosen people of God in the promised land that God had given to them. So if you have your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter 2, and today our text is uh, verses 9 through 16. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite ser servant heard this, it, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the, wel the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. And I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. Keep that thought in your mind. I told no one what God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me, but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. That was a waste. 
<laughs> I'll move on. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and I inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Have you ever noticed that oftentimes when you decide to do something for God, opposition comes right away? Have you ever been, you're like, I'm in the Word, I'm praying, I've even been fasting. Lord, I'm seeking your will for every area of my life, and things seem to be going well, and then out of nowhere, opposition hits. That's probably how Nehemiah felt right about now. They had already been in captivity. Technically, they, I guess they still were. He returns to Jerusalem, and immediately he gets opposition because he's trying to follow the will of God. Nehemiah 2.10 says that when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite heard that he had returned and what he was trying to do, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. If Nehemiah was going to see the walls of Jerusalem rebuilt in spite of opposition, he was going to need a certain level of commitment that allowed him to overcome that opposition. How many people know that when you're going through a hard time, if you're not committed, you're probably going to get out of the boat? It takes a certain level of commitment to press forward when times get tough. As followers of Christ, we must be committed to the call of Christ because we are guaranteed in Scripture that there will be opposition to what God has called us to do. Aren't you, you know, so, sometimes you, you look at the New Testament writers and we're so grateful for them, but uh, sometimes you wonder how many of them had the gift of encouragement. Because, yeah, I think of Paul and Peter and repeatedly they talk about this idea that if you desire to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. Congratulations. But I love it because the reward is always greater than the cost, amen? And as followers of Christ, we know it's not about this earth. It's not about the opposition we face, but it's an opportunity for the glory of God to shine in a very dark situation. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, For this momentary light affliction, these difficult times that we go through in this life, notice he says they're momentary. This is going to pass. I had somebody once tell me, Josh, there's a scripture for everything. Even when you have a kidney stone, the Bible says this too shall pass. Um, our difficult times will pass. This momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond any comparison. Nothing this world can do to you can compare to what God has in store for you. Can I get a good amen? Nehemiah, this is his life story. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you've called us to be a people of your word and to be a people who are committed to the cause of Christ. Give us clarity of thought and the words to say, and may we receive something from your word this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. If you're taking notes, the central part of today's message is three bricks to a committed heart, or three bricks of a committed heart. The theme of our Nehemiah series has been this idea that we're rebuilding our lives brick by brick one piece at a time. 
Today I want to talk about three bricks of what it looks like to have a committed heart even when very difficult circumstances are going on around us. The first brick is this. Recognize that you walk in authority. Recognize that you walk in authority. Nehemiah 2.9 says, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river, and I gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. Nehemiah was able to return to Jerusalem and inspect the walls because he had received authority from the king. Nehemiah had been given letters to the governors of the province beyond the river in order that he may return to Jerusalem and accomplish the rebuilding of the walls. You see, Nehemiah would never have been able to do what God had called him to do in his own strength and in his own authority. He needed somebody with more clout than him, somebody with more leverage, someone who had more connections who could position him to do what God called him to do. For Nehemiah's return to Jerusalem, the king also sent with him officers of the army and horsemen as a symbol of authority. That had to have been pretty cool. Nehemiah is definitely going through hostile territory on his way to Jerusalem. And here he has officers of the army of the king and horsemen as a delegation going right with him. What was it doing? It was giving him authority. This authority that Nehemiah received did three primary things for him. First of all, it granted him access to Jerusalem. He had no access to Jerusalem. I actually love what it says later on, I believe at the end of chapter 2. Nehemiah is dealing with some opposition. And they're challenging his authority and his right to be in Jerusalem. And he responds by saying, you have no right over this territory. This territory had been given by God. Nehemiah knew ultimately that his authority came from God. But he had also received authority from the king. It gave him access to Jerusalem. It gave his adversaries notice that something big was about to happen. And it provided him protection. Those three things were essential for Nehemiah to do what the Lord had called him to do. Did you know that as followers of Christ, when we consider our lives today, we have authority in Jesus Christ? Amen. I love what Jesus says. We call it the Great Commission. He says, I want you to go into all of the world, and I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to baptize in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He says, I'll be with you always, even to the ends of the age. That's a pretty powerful calling. That's a pretty powerful statement that the Lord's called us unto. But oftentimes, we forget what I think is the key verse of that entire passage, and it's what he says right before the Great Commission. He says, now listen, I'm paraphrasing here, listen closely, followers. I'm about to go to heaven, and I have an incredible call for you, and it involves going to every part of this world to share the good news of my life. But when you go, he says in Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go. Jesus never asked you to do something in your own strength. He never called you to do something in your own authority. He said, I'm going to give you the hardest challenge in the world, and that's take the gospel to every part of this earth, but I want you to do it in my authority and in my strength. When you go, you're not going in your own name. You're going in the name of the king of all kings. That's the authority that we have as followers of Christ. I love this because that means we can live in confidence knowing we are able to walk in authority in every situation of our life. We can live in authority in our families, 
in our marriages, in our workplace, when we go to school, when we're dealing with a difficult boss, when opposition's coming against us. We don't have to do it in our own strength. Jesus says, walk in my authority. When we walk in the authority of Christ, he will do the following. First of all, like Nehemiah, he's going to give us access to the place he's called us to be. A lot of t- I've heard people say this. They say, God will never ask you to do something that you can't accomplish. Folks, that's heresy. He will often ask you to do something that you can't accomplish because he wants to come alongside and empower you to do it. I heard a pastor who, um, Tommy Barnett, a prominent pastor out in California, uh, the famous Dream Center in Los Angeles. Him and his son, they started this, and it's a, it's a, retire, it's a former hospital that they've converted into an incredible rehab, uh, rehab facility. They work with drug addicts, uh, even prostitutes in, in Skid Row in L.A. Incredible what God's doing there. And he talked about God gave him a dream to build this facility. There was one problem. He had no authority. He had no access. There was an abandoned hospital right on the interstate in downtown Los Angeles. If you go there today, you'll see the Dream Center. It's a former hospital right on the interstate. He said in the, the cost was far too great He had no access to it. But for Tommy Barnett, his Jerusalem was the Dream Center. It's the place in his life God had called him to, to rebuild some walls. To build a foundation that was going to bless a whole lot of people in that area. So what happens? He starts walking in the authority of God. He says, God, this one's on you. I can't do this. This dream's too big. I don't have the resources. I need your help. And before long, uh, God started partnering him with business leader after business leader after business leader. To this date, he has been given a million dollars over 20 different times. Church, we serve the king of all kings, and he has access to a lot of resources. And when we walk in his authority, it opens the door for what is possible for him to do in our lives. Can I encourage you this morning? If you're trying to do it in your own strength, according to your own wisdom... Hand over the keys. In Carrie Underwood's words, let Jesus take the wheel. And watch what God can do in your life. Can I get a good amen? When we walk in the authority of Christ, he gives us access that we never would have had. When I went to Israel a few years ago, this was hilarious. We went into uh, Palestine, or what is modern-day Palestine. And while we were there, we were at all of the tourist attractions and, and doing, going to all the tourist spots. But we were there in June, which I believe is Ramadan. That's the Islamic High Holy Month. And due to the political situation, tensions were already a little heightened uh, in that area at the time anyway. So you kind of got the feeling that you weren't real welcome over there. Bethlehem today is 80% Arab. It's 80% Islamic uh, is, is Bethlehem today. So as you're walking through there, you kinda, you, we just got the vibe from the guards. Many of the people were really nice. But from some of the political guards and things like that, you got the feeling you weren't real welcome. So what they did is they gave us an escort. And this guy was a prominent Christian businessman in that region. And I, heaven is my witness. They told us, they're like, he's a wonderful Christian brother. You just don't cross him. I'm like, I don't know how, to, I don't know how you figure that one out, but we'll go with it. Uh, an eye for an eye, maybe. So this guy, though, had authority, and he had access in a region of people who did not even have the same beliefs that he had. 
To many of the people in that area, his beliefs were fundamentally opposite to their worldview. In fact, they were against one another. But because he had authority and he had access, everything they asked to be done for us was done. There was a restaurant that we ate lunch at, a prim uh, primarily Islamic restaurant there in the community. Very nice people. But my, to my understanding, it was closed. They make a quick phone call. Suddenly, they're getting tables ready. They roll out basically the red carpet for us. And we had access to a wonderful meal in an area that we probably weren't the most welcomed people in. Here's my point. God can give you access and authority in places you don't think is possible. He can open up doors and opportunities in your life where you think they're slammed shut because he has authority that's not of this world. It's far greater. Amen? Nehemiah understood this principle. You see, Christ's authority will put our adversaries on notice that God is with us. Even though Nehemiah continued to face opposition, they understood that this was not going to be easy. There was a greater authority at work in his life. Satan cannot steal what belongs to God. If you're a follower of Christ, you are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are his, and Satan can't take that away from you. Your internal inheritance is secure. Secondly, one of the bricks for a committed heart is understanding that there will be times of preparation. There are times of preparation. In Nehemiah 2.11, it says, So I went to Jerusalem, and I was there three days. The reason he went to Jerusalem is he wanted to prepare the work God had in store for his life. You see, there was a lot of ruins around. Jerusalem was once this beautiful, magnificent city. It was the, the host of Yahweh. It was where the temple was. The temple had been restored, but it, it, it still wasn't the same feel that it used to have. Things looked decaying. Their, their walls were broken down. What used to be strong was now very weak. You ever been there? Nehemiah understood this, so he goes there for three days to prepare. For Nehemiah, preparation involved inspecting the walls at night when nobody was looking. Church, a lot of times... God will call us to something, but there's a time of preparation when nobody's looking. I've shared before the story of Billy Graham. God had a magnificent call on his life, but before he ever had a microphone, before he ever had a platform, he would go out into the woods and he would preach to the trees, to the squirrels, to anything that moved, he would preach to it. What was he doing? He was cultivating the gift and the dream God had put in his heart. Nehemiah had a dream in his heart, but there was going to have to be a preparation phase before that dream could become a reality. One thing to note is that loneliness will often accompany times of preparation. Have you ever asked God, why is it taking so long? Lord, you've put a dream in my heart, but I feel really lonely right now. I have this vision that you've given me. I want to rebuild some walls, God. I, there's something magnificent you've called me to do. Why is it taking so long? I, I'm lonely, Lord. That's normal. Loneliness often will accompany times of preparation. And here's why. God's trying to do a work in you before he can do a work around you. And sometimes he has to get us to a very lonely place where it's just him and us, where we can really talk to one another so that he can position us to then be a blessing to other people. Preparation lays a foundation 
for the walls to be built and rebuilt. But without preparation, we're doing what Jesus recommended us not to do, and we're building on a sandy foundation. You see, Jesus even prepared for his ministry by going in a time of preparation. In Matthew chapter 4, there's this powerful story, and Jesus' ministry is about to launch. I want you to think for a moment. Can you imagine what the spiritual warfare was like surrounding Christ when he spent 40 days and 40 nights fasting in the wilderness? This was the last stop, really, major significant stop before the launch of his ministry. Satan knew what was at stake. The entire spirit realm knew who he was and what he was trying to do. And I can assure you this was an intense time of spiritual warfare. While Jesus was in the wilderness... He had no human audience. He had no microphone. He wasn't speaking from a platform. The crowds weren't around him to support him, say, keep going, Jesus, you can do this. It was just him and God and Satan and the spirit world. He was out there all by himself with the Father, communing 40 days and 40 nights. He had no human audience, but the Father was watching. Can I encourage you this morning? If you're going through a situation right now where you feel like you're in a waiting period, God's watching. And he's right there with you. And he's saying, keep cultivating that dream and the gift I've given you because in due season, it's going to come to pass. Jesus understood this principle. Times of preparation and times of loneliness are opportunities for surrender. I love how the passage says in Matthew 4, Jesus is fasting and praying 40 days. We know that Satan comes along. He tempts him in three different ways. And each time Jesus refutes the temptation. And at the end of that narrative, the Bible says that the presence of God through the angels came and ministered to him. Church, I know he's Jesus Christ, but don't you, under, don't you know that God wants his presence to come and minister to you and to me as well? You see, when we're going through these times of preparation, it can be tough because we're like, God, we know what the dream is, but we're not there yet. So what do I do? We pray. We cultivate that gift. We keep exercising the things God's already given us, and we just commune with the Father. And I love it because the presence of God will invade our lives in a special way. You see, I love how it says that the presence of God came to Jesus, and that seems to be what laid the foundation for the rest of his ministry. We will never be able to accomplish God's call on our life if we think we don't need the presence of God to do it. We need his presence in every area of our lives, and this is something Nehemiah understood. We have to understand that there will be times of preparation. When Jesus was tempted three times by Satan, Satan came at him for his weakness. Have you ever been trying to do something for God and you feel like Satan comes and he tries to clip you? And he comes at your weakness. He, he knows when you're vulnerable. See, he knew that Jesus had been fasting 40 days. So the Bible says Jesus became hungry. He was physically weak. He was fully God, but he was still fully man, and he had the same human limitations in his body that me and you have. The Bible says he became physically, he was hungry. So he was physically weak, and that's when Satan comes and tempts him. And what is one of the temptations? Jesus turned the stones into bread. Take a shortcut from what God's called you to do and, sh and try and find a quicker way. Let me say it this way. 
bypass the preparation stage and go ahead and satisfy that longing that you have. You see, Satan was trying to get, I agree with Henry Nouwen, he was trying to get Jesus to rely on himself instead of the Father. And during times of preparation, when it can be very lonely at times, you've got to understand that Satan's going to try and get you to rely on yourself and on your wisdom and your understanding. But every time Satan came, Jesus rebuked him. He said, nope, it is written, it is written, it is written. And ultimately, Satan had to go away. Why? Because Jesus understood there's no shortcuts to the call of God. We get there by preparing, and then in due season, things will start to flourish. Amen? There will be times in our lives when we feel as though we are alone, but we have to know that God is preparing something far greater than we can accomplish in our own strength. The Apostle Paul writes now to him, Christ, who is able to do far more abundantly than anything you can even ever ask or think or imagine, to him be all the glory in Christ Jesus. Next time you, you have a thought, Lord, I feel unqualified to do this. I don't feel like I have the assets, I don't have the access, I don't have the authority to accomplish this objective in my life. You stand on this verse and you say, no, Satan, now to him who's able to do more in my life than I can even imagine or think, to him be the glory in Christ Jesus. When I, a few years ago, the Lord really was speaking, working in my life, and he used, uh, uh, he's used many people, Pastor John definitely included. Uh, but at the time, I was working for a gentleman at Regent, and I knew the Lord had called me to pastoral ministry. That had always been my heart in what I wanted to do. But I really felt like the Lord was using this gentleman to slightly adjust the trajectory that was still, I believe, going to be the core of what he had called me to do. But he also started giving me a burden to teach. Here's the problem. I'm not the smartest uh, cookie in the box. But I felt like the Lord had called me to teach. I grew up playing sports. I mean, this was the last thing that I had ever dreamed of doing. To be honest, I thought I was going to go to four years of Bible school and go straight into ministry. God has an incredible sense of humor. Um... So I was really wrestling with some things, and the Lord really used this gentleman to adjust the direction in my life. And he said, Josh, I think you need to continue in your studies. So I did. The Lord opened the door for me to do that. I come to the end of that. This is now seven years of college. I come to the end of that, and he says, Josh, I really don't think the Lord's done yet. I think you need to continue in your studies. And I said, come quickly, Lord. Now would be a good time. Fast forward to today. Ten years of college in a row. But can I tell you something? God's preparing something. Not because of anything in my own strength or my skills or abilities. It's in spite of those things. He says, Josh, whether you like it or not, I'm going to show my glory in your life some way. I'll never forget, I got into this doctoral program of my dreams. And please, this is God's call on my life. This is all God's glory. But I was praying about which program to get into, and the Lord opened a door for me to get into this program. And I, know, I knew I was very young to be in the program, uh, feel very highly unqualified compared to a lot of the other people in the program. So I get into the program, and they asked me to be a student representative for the accreditation body that was coming to accredit this particular school at Regent. So they, basically there was one student representing each program in our school. I know Dr. Bucci's real familiar with this. Little did I know I was being set up. So I go into this accreditation meeting, and it, I'm wearing a badge, and it has the degree program that I'm in. 
And so there's a board of people there from the accreditation committee, and they're basically, they're asking us questions. Uh, what do you like about the program? What don't you like? Things like that. And the gentleman to my left, who I was sitting right next to, and understand I'm in here among some of my peers. The gentleman sitting right here to my left looks at me, and I knew exactly what he was thinking. He said, when did you finish your master's program? I told him. He said, when did you start this program? I told him. He said, you're too young to be in here. Now, he said this in front of all my peers. He was questioning my integrity and the integrity of the entire school. And I remember wanting to say something very not Christ-like in the moment. Um, but I just kind of sat there because I thought, I'm in no, I have no authority in this situation. The people who have authority aren't even in this meeting. It's just me, some peers, and a bunch of hotshot accreditation body people. Lord, forgive me. So I'm still working this out, as you can tell. So I go to meet with uh, just this mentor of mine who's just a phenomenal gentleman. I said, I just want you to know what happened. I don't know if word's gotten back to you. And he, he's incredible, and uh, he has a lot of authority, let's put it that way. And uh, he, he was so gracious in how he handled the situation. But as I was preparing this message and I was thinking about that, it kind of reminded me, the Lord, it's like the Lord was saying, Josh, you have no authority in that situation. You had no access to be in this situation. You really don't deserve to be here, Josh. But because you're walking in my authority, I have connections you could never have. I can open doors you could never do in your own strength. I can give you access to opportunities that your own strength and skills can never afford you. He does the same for all of us, church. You may think the door is shut, but our God is greater. And you may have opposition. They may say you're too young. They may say you're not smart enough. You don't have enough credentials on your life to do what God's called you to do. You just shut that door in their face in the love of Christ. And you stand on the authority of Christ say, I'm a child of God. My identity's in Christ. I'm who he says I am, and I'll do what he says I've called, he's called me to do. Can I get a good amen? There is authority in Jesus Christ. The third point here, the third brick of commitment is this. We've got to learn to hide the word of God in our hearts. We've got to hide the word of God in our hearts. You see, a verse a day will not keep the devil away. He knows scripture too. See, the difference between Satan and Christians, Satan quotes scripture, he just quotes it out of context. Christians are called to quote scripture in context. Nehemiah 2.12 says, Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. It doesn't say exactly what this word was, but Nehemiah had received some word from God that he knew he was in the right place at the right time. He says, I arose in the night. Nobody was looking. I'm kind of lonely. I'm in this preparation stage. It's just me and a few men who had come with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do. When we get a word from God, it doesn't matter what other people say because that's enough to commit and to sustain us. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. Church, when we hide our word in our heart, when we hide God's word in our heart, it gives him a seed to water in times of temptation. 
When you hide the word in your heart and you're going through a difficult time, he's got something he can activate in your life. Now, I'm not, I'm not we all, I know we all start at different phases, so I please. Some of you, you may be completely brand new to the Christian faith. You're trying to still figure out what this looks like and, and how it works. That's okay. You're right where God wants you to be. But understand that as we grow and as we mature, it's not enough just to walk around with you version on my phone and pop it open every now and then. I've got to have the word hidden in my heart. I've got to know that I know that I know that I can stand on it when I'm going through a hard time. And Nehemiah understood this. You see, we overcome opposition by being committed to the word of God. The text seems to imply that Nehemiah had received some kind of word in some manner that had confirmed for him that he was walking in the will of God. God had put it into Nehemiah's heart what he was supposed to do. Nehemiah was committed to the cause in spite of opposition because he had a word from God. Some of you this morning, you're fighting and you're struggling. You need a fresh word from God. You're committed and he knows that. See, God looks at your heart. He knows your heart. He knows you're committed, but you need a fresh word. During Jesus' wilderness experience, when he was tempted by Satan, it becomes abundantly clear that he modeled this principle for us. He had the word hidden in his heart. You see, I mentioned it just a minute ago. Satan has a bad habit of quoting God out of context. He'll give you half-truths to make you think it's true, but it's just wrong enough to completely throw you off. If you go all the way back to the garden, Adam and Eve were doing great. God said you can eat of any, any tree here, you can eat the fruit of any tree, except that one. What does Satan come along and do? He twists God's words a little bit. He said, did he really say? Because if you do that, he knows that you'll be like him. He basically, for lack of a better term, he quoted scripture out of context. He twisted it a little bit. Satan has a habit of putting things in our minds and our ears that are just slightly wrong. Because he, you see, Satan's not very creative. He doesn't have any new tactics, but the ones he does have, he's gotten very good at using them. But I love how Jesus overcomes each temptation. He stands on the word of God every time. He refutes each and every temptation because he had the word of God hidden in his heart. You notice the text doesn't say, Pretend this is an ancient, you know, this is one of the papyrus scrolls that Jesus would have read from. The text does not say that Jesus was praying in the wilderness. Satan comes along and he tempts him three times. And Jesus says, you know, Satan, give me a second. I'm going to go get my concordance. I think there's a verse on that somewhere. Um, I'll get back to you and maybe I can overcome this temptation. Jesus had it hidden in his heart. He knew the word of God. It was the foundation to his life. Now, if you have to get a concordance, that's great. I'm not minimizing that. My point is, there should be a growth process. We start with that, but the more we meditate on God's word, the more it starts to hide in our heart, and it becomes the foundation for everything we do. You see, our culture, we live in a, we live in a culture now where people have their personal beliefs, and they ask you to take Scripture and twist it so that it fits their lifestyle. I want to be very careful here. Folks, that's what Satan does. He asks you to take the word of God and twist it so it'll fit your personal preference. We're supposed to take our beliefs and then funnel them through the word of God, and that'll determine what's right and what's wrong. Amen? 
a life that has hidden the word of God in their heart is one that has a foundation that will be able to overcome opposition even in the midst of weakness. I want to give you three words this morning. Three words, and this is what we're closing with. And uh, Patricia, if you'll come forward or somebody on the keys, don't worry, I'm not about to prophesy over you, I promise. But I have three words for you this morning, and the first one's this. It's the incarnate word. Say this with me. The incarnate word. That's a fancy term. We call it the incarnation. It's when the Son of God took on human flesh and he became like you and me so that he could relate with us. He knows exactly what we're going through. John 1 says that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. In verse 14 of John 1, it says, and the Word became flesh. It reveals who that Word is. Some of you this morning are searching. You say, I believe there's a God out there, but I'm not sure what he looks like. I don't know what his name is. Can I encourage you? He is the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. He's the word who became flesh to look like you and to look like me so that he could pay for our sins. You see, somebody's got to pay for your sins. There's two options. It's either you or Christ. But if you'll let Christ into your life, he'll pay for every mistake you've ever done. You see, when we accept Jesus Christ, Paul says that it's as though he nailed every sin we ever had onto that cross. He takes your name and your sins and he nails them to the cross and then he covers them in his blood. He says, you're no longer condemned. You're free to go. The first word that some of you need this morning is Jesus Christ, the word of God in the flesh. In the Greek, it says, in the beginning was the word. That Greek word is logos. It simply means he was the understanding or the revelation of who God is. We have people all over this world and they're searching, God, who are you? I want to know, is there a real God? They're looking for a logos, an understanding of who God is. So the father answered our request. He said, I'm going to reveal who I am to you. I'm going to send my son. I'm going to make him look like you so that he can relate to you and help you overcome every challenge you ever face. You need the incarnate word this morning. Secondly, you need the written word. Nehemiah understood this. Part of the reason Israel was in captivity to begin with is they had forsaken the teachings of the written word. They had lost their foundation. They used to have walls, but brick by brick, they took the walls down. And suddenly they found themselves in captivity. Psalm 1 talks about the written word. It says that a blessed person is somebody who meditates on the word of God. Can I translate it this way? There's someone who hides the word in their heart. Listen to the blessings of somebody whose life is built on the word of God. They have a firm foundation. When winds blow, they're not easily shifted. They're fruitful. Their life blesses those around them. They endure even when times get tough and they prosper in everything they do. That's the foundation of a life built on the Word of God. Hebrews 4 says, For the Word of God, it's living and it's active. Do you know this is not some dead book? It's living and it's active. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the very division of my soul and of my spirit. It discerns the very thoughts and intentions of my heart. Anybody dealing with anxiety this morning? 
stand on the Word of God. It'll help you discern the thoughts and intentions of your heart. It'll help you know what's of God and what's not of God. You see, it's the written word that Jesus stood on when he was going through one of the most difficult times in his life. And the third word that, you need, that we all need this morning is this. We need a fresh word from God through the power of his Holy Spirit. Jesus looked at his followers after his resurrection, and he said, I'm going to ascend to heaven. And to them, that was, that was probably terrible. Why would you do that, Jesus? You just rose from the dead. Why would you leave us now? Very opportune time to leave us. Jesus said, no, it's actually better that I go to heaven because I'm going to send a comforter, somebody to come alongside you on your worst day. When opposition is coming against you, you're going to be trying to rebuild some walls in your life. You're going to be trying to restore the foundation of your life. And he said, I'm going to send a comforter who will lead you into all truth. He will pick you up. He will edify you. He will strengthen you. The Holy Spirit is the omnipresence of God. Jesus could only be in one place at one time. And he said, I'm going to go so that the omnipresence, the Spirit of God, can be with every person at Grace River Church at every moment during the week. I'm going to send him. The Holy Spirit, he convicts us of sin. He leads us into righteousness. And we've got to learn to develop rhythms of prayer where we breathe the Holy Spirit in and where we breathe him out. I heard a powerful sermon the other day, and the gentleman talked about living a life that is full of a rhythm of prayer, of times where you pray and you intercede and times when you rest and you allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. When Jesus was in the wilderness, he had a rhythm of prayer. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted. He overcame temptation. Then came a time of rest. And the Bible says the angels of God came and ministered to him. You need a rhythm of prayer this morning in your life, and that's only going to come through hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. There's a teaching that goes around that says as soon as we received the full canon of the Word, as soon as this all came together as we know it, God stopped speaking. Folks, that's, that's very strange line of thinking. I, I, I understand where they're coming from because this is the Word of God. But you know, when we ask somebody to accept Christ as their Lord, we often use this phrase, would, would you like to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you ever had a thriving relationship where only one person talked? You see, if God doesn't speak to us, then in the words of Robert Lewis, we're doing an incredible disservice to every person we tell that he wants to have a relationship with them. Because if he's not speaking, where's the relationship? Now, he speaks through his word, but you can be driving in his car and he can whisper to you in a still, small voice. You could be going through a very difficult time in your life and you say, God, I'm at my end. I can't do it no more. Stand on the word and allow the Holy Spirit to speak into your situation. Allow him to move some things around and watch what he is able to accomplish. Robert Morris, a prominent pastor who I just mentioned, I really admire his ministry, and he, he made a comment that one time he was an, a guest evangelist in a church. And throughout the service, uh, he, he was just an evangelist. He knew the pastor, but he didn't know the circumstances of the church. He didn't know a lot about the people in the church. He's just showing up as an evangelist. And during the service, he kept feeling or sensing the Holy Spirit whispering to him, stand up and say that there's somebody here 
who's been struggling with their past, and it was, very, it was a very specific word, and they don't think they ever have a right to be on stage or to be on the platform and minister. Now, listen, we're all ministers no matter where we're at. But this was a specific person God had called to be in public vocational ministry. But because of their past mistakes, they thought it prevented them from ever getting up there and preaching a sermon or singing a song. So finally, he gets the courage. He stands up and he says, that, he says there's somebody here who God has called to be on this platform preaching and singing the gospel, but you won't come up here because you think you've made too many bad mistakes. And he said once he finally had the courage to say it, the entire church erupted in a roar. And I think in his mind, he didn't know if he had started a riot or what had happened. But what he didn't know was the pastor's daughter had been living, a, I guess, a pretty rough lifestyle and had been coming back to church, but she specifically would not come on the platform because she thought her mistakes were too great. The entire church had been praying for this one lady, and little did Robert Morris know he was the answer to their prayer. You see, one timely word can change an entire group of people. What a testimony that when we're walking in relationship with the Holy Spirit, He can speak to us and do things we can't do in our own strength. He can give us access we don't have, and He can open up opportunities we could never accomplish. Would our prayer team come? Some of you, everybody in the, here this morning, myself included, we all need a word. Amen? Here's the thing. We all need all three of these words. But depending on where you're at this morning, I want to encourage you to do something. I want you to say, what is my next step this morning? We're talking about rebuilding our lives, building it on the foundation of God's word, having a life in relationship with God and with his Holy Spirit. What is the word you need right now? For some of you, you need the incarnate word. You've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He's speaking this morning, and he's saying, I want to take ownership of your life. I want to give you authority that you don't have in your own strength. I want to break that addiction that you can't do in your own strength, but you've got to surrender your heart to me. You need the incarnate word. Some of you have grown up in the church. Some of us, myself included, we've grown up in the church. We've read the word so many times, we think we know it all. We need a fresh hunger for God's word. Maybe that's you. You say, I know Christ, but I want a fresh hunger for God's word. I want to have a hunger that stands on his word and that where I hide it in my heart that I might not sin against him. And that some of you, maybe you're doing that great. But you say, the, the voice of the Holy Spirit's come kind of deaf lately. I feel like I don't hear it as well. I know he's still speaking, but maybe I'm not listening. Maybe you just need a fresh whisper from the Holy Spirit to say, I'm going to bring you through this. Maybe you think your past is too great, and you need the Holy Spirit to say, I've wiped away your past. If anybody is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and your identity has completely been changed. Would you stand with me this morning? We're just going to dismiss here in a moment. But our prayer team's here, and if you... If you're wanting to take that next step and receive one of those words, I want you to commit to it. Because that's what today is about, commitment. You see, opposition's coming, but Nehemiah was committed. 
He knew God had called him to rebuild the foundations of an entire people. But it was only going to come through commitment. What commitment do you need to make this morning? Is it to Jesus Christ? Is it to his written word? Or is it to listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit? I'm going to pray. We're going to dismiss. But if you make one of those commitments this morning, and maybe it's a recommitment. For example, I'm recommitting my life to all three. I'm saying, God, I want a fresh whisper of your spirit like I haven't had in years. I want a hunger for your word like I've never had. And I want to know Jesus Christ more personally than I ever have. I'm committing to all three. But if you're making a commitment this morning on your way out, I'm simply asking to come forward, share which one that you're committing to with one of our prayer team, let them bless you, and then you go forward. Is that okay? Let's make a commitment this morning. I'm going to pray, and then you're dismissed. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you desire to know us so well that you sent your only son to commit to us. Lord, I ask you that you help us to commit to him. Father, I ask that you forgive us of all of our sins. You says to anyone who accepts Christ as Lord, their sins are forgiven and they are a new creation. Lord, I ask that you'll give us a hunger for your word like we've never had. And I ask that we'll be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit in every situation that we encounter this week. So we bless your people. We ask that you lead them and guide them this week. Lord, as they go to work, as they go to school, help them to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit every step of the way. And help us to be committed to the call that you have, us, have on our lives. And we'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you want to hear more, you can find our entire archive on our website at graceriverva.com. Also, if this message has touched you in any way, we would love to connect with you. Do this by filling out a connection card at graceriverva.com connect. From all of us at Grace River Church, have a blessed day.